0: Today's scripture is Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. But first, please join me in prayer as as he preaches God's word. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. Amen. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world (coughs) and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Thanks be to God
1: the word of the Lord. Before we come to our scripture today, I just want to say a word about something we've been announcing and and praying about uh, over the last several weeks, which is our uh, nominations for elders and deacons. Uh, And I want to say a word about uh, how we think about this in, in the Reformed tradition. Uh, we have you know, members from all sorts of different backgrounds here at Geneva. And some of you may have never really thought about uh, your participation in selecting leaders who just sends a, you come from a tradition where there's someone who takes care of that. There's a bishop who just sends a, the leader to the church. And others, of uh, you might not think about it much because you come from a background where uh, it's taken care of by the pastor or, or a small select group in the church and the congregation isn't really involved. In the Reformed tradition, uh, as is often the case, uh, we're in the middle, and we take a covenantal approach. And a covenantal approach means that there's, there's more than one party involved. And in selecting leaders in, uh, in the Reformed tradition, uh, the congregation is involved, and the leaders of the church are involved together. Uh, the congregation has a role. And the council has a role. Uh, the role of the congregation is to prayerfully discern whom among us God might have gifted uh, for leadership in the church, uh, gifted for uh, serving as an elder or a deacon. Uh, we believe that, that Christ has given us gifts as a church. This is his body. Uh, but he invites us to participate in discerning those gifts. And so that's, that's why. Uh, there's a nomination process where, the, where any member of our church can nominate someone for leadership uh, and um, put their name forward. And then the council has a role of discerning uh, um, whether the, those people nominated truly are gifted if they're the right people for the right season, uh, have the maturity in Christ that's needed to serve in leadership and uh, um, and to select uh, the, the leaders who will be put forward to the congregation uh, when we elect our leaders. And so uh, um, we do all of this because we believe that uh, this is Christ's church. This isn't my church. This isn't really your church either. It's Christ's church. But together, uh, we discern uh, whom God is, is calling to, to lead his church. Um, and so, I just want to, in this season, as we come up uh, to um, our next council meeting, which is a week from Wednesday, I want to invite you to do two things. I want I want you to invite you to pray. Uh, be praying for our leadership in this season. This is such a time of transition and change and growth, new things for us. Um, our leaders are doing a lot, and we need the right leaders for the, this season. And so, please be praying for them, and be praying. Um, asking the Lord whether there's someone whom you think uh, is gifted that you might nominate, and th- that'd be the second thing. Uh, you could actually take the step of nominating someone, and that means, you know, talking to them first and asking them, "Would you? Would it be okay, Geneva? Could I put a, a gifting in you that you would be a, a good leader uh, for Geneva? Could I put your name forward uh, to the council? Could I, could I nominate you? And um, and if they're willing." Uh, You can send me, as the president of the council, um, uh, an email with their name. And and the council would love to consider that. If you have no idea what elders or deacons do, uh, there are two handouts on the welcome table in the hallway uh, I invite you to take. And uh, you can read about what um, it involves. All right. Pastoral encouragement over. Uh, You can talk to me if you have any questions or another council member. Today, we're talking about the topic of identity. And many people believe that one of the the biggest changes for how we think about identity in recent years has been the rise of social media. Uh, The author and media theorist, uh, Douglas Rushkoff, has described its its effect, the effect of social media, on the way we think about identity uh, in in an intriguing way. Uh, He says, Think about how teenagers um, used to, probably still do, uh, put up posters in their bedrooms. You know, posters that represent represented what, what is most important to them, their passions and their heroes, everything that contributed to their identity. You know, just imagine those those posters uh, on the bedroom wall. Uh, in these years, in years past, uh, these posters were always within the privacy of their bedrooms. You know. So maybe your close friends saw them. Maybe your parents, if you let them into your room. Uh, but it was not that big a deal to take down one poster and change it or add a new one you know, as one's identity evolved. But what uh, Rushkoff says is that what social media did is turn the posters around so they all face the outside and made them public all the time. So we now live in a world where our identities are on display, often involving the most personal details of our lives, no matter what your age, uh, for the whole world to see. And this isn't all bad. You know, we've become uh, very aware of ourselves, I think, in, in new ways, very aware of other people and differences between people. We've become pretty skilled in talking about the nuances of our identities. But it also presents some challenges uh, that I want us to consider today. In this season of Lent, uh, we're investigating Jesus' teaching on different topics. And as we talk about uh, this this topic of identity, my goal is not really to talk about the many different identities uh, that are represented here today in this room. Uh, but instead to talk about the one identity that is shared by followers of Christ. In other words, the the question that I want to ask is, is there a distinctive way in which Jesus teaches Christians to think about their identity? And if we get that clear, it may help us think about our many differences, too. So in our text today, there, there are three things from Mark 8 that I think, can help us understand Jesus' teaching. First, there is the the problem of a Christian's identity. Second, the paradox of a Christian's identity. And third, the promise of a Christian's identity. The problem, the paradox, and the promise. Let's start with the problem by looking at the Apostle Peter at the beginning of our passage today. Peter hears Jesus' teaching about the necessity of his suffering and death, and he objects. Verse 32. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. This language of rebuke is very strong. It's used elsewhere in the Gospels to describe Jesus when he rebukes demons. Notice also that verse 32 says that Jesus spoke plainly about his suffering. It's not that Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He understands it quite well. He just doesn't like it. Earlier in this chapter, Peter made the great confession that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. But this is not the kind of Messiah that Peter had in mind to follow, one who was going to suffer, be rejected, and die. In response, Jesus rebukes Peter in in the same strong way. He says that Peter, by tempting Jesus away from the cross, is opposing himself to the things of God. How does this relate to the problem of identity? Well, Peter shows us the problem with which we all struggle. On the one hand, Peter is a disciple of Jesus. He knows something of the truth and the goodness and beauty of Jesus. But on the other hand, he doesn't want to be the kind of disciple that Jesus seems to have in mind. He's looking for glory, not for a cross. He's embarrassed by Jesus' teaching about suffering. In other words, Peter's identity is a mess. He's a mix of competing desires and affections. If you asked Peter, Are you a follower of Jesus? He would say yes. But then if you asked him, Are you ready to take up your cross and and follow follow him, follow this kind of Savior? He might, him and ha, he, he would struggle. Who is Peter really? Uh, We all face this question, who am I really? Let me offer an illustration about this. Do you remember the movie Liar, Liar, starring Jim Carrey? Some of you have seen that? Uh, For those of you who may not have seen this fine piece of 20th century cinema, (laughs) let me tell you about it. Uh, In Liar, Liar, Jim Carrey plays a divorced lawyer and a workaholic, who is always lying to his son about why he has to cancel visits with him. So one day, when his father misses his birthday party, uh, the boy blows out the candles of his cake and wishes that his father could not lie anymore. And it comes true. The next morning, the Jim Carrey character wakes up, and he cannot lie. He can only speak the truth to every single person he meets. Suddenly, the real him is on display to the world. And it gets him into all sorts of trouble, very funny, with women, with his clients, with his family. Not because he's deceiving them now, but because he's telling them the truth about who he is. Something similar can happen to anyone. you know, And often it happens... Uh, under the influence of alcohol or, or in moments of anger or when a person is swept away by sexual passion. Often we look back at moments like these and we say, that wasn't me. But what if we're more like the character in Liar Liar? What if the real me is on display in these moments? What if underneath my niceness and politeness, I really am that selfish or uncaring or lustful? How do we decide who is the real me? That's the question. If you look and you will have to decide which ones that you're going to embrace and encourage and which ones you're going to reject. This is a lot of work. And this is why, uh, for most of human history, this is not the approach that societies have taken. Uh, If you lived 300 or or 400 years ago, if anyone asked you, how do you know who you are? Where do you get your identity? Uh, The answer would have been, I am who my family or or my society tells me I should be. Uh, In the modern world, we've taken a very different approach. Uh, And and for some good reasons, we've rejected that kind of traditional approach because it can be a crushing burden to meet these kinds of expectations of our families or our societies. And some of you come from more traditional cultural backgrounds, and, and you know what that's like. But for most people in the modern world, we don't look outside of ourselves for our standard of identity. We look inside. The positive side of this approach is it's very freeing, but it can also lead to its own problems. Without a reference point outside of ourselves, our identities can be very fragile and, and unstable. And oftentimes, like Jim Carrey or the Apostle Peter, we discover that our desires are at war within us. In response to this problem, the problem of identity, Jesus offers a paradox to us, a whole new way of thinking about identity. If you want to live, Jesus says, you must die. Verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Let me say two things about this. First, this is shocking because Jesus leaves no room for anything partial or halfway when it comes to being his disciple. He wants all of us. To, take, a, to uh, take up a cross and, and to follow him means to be willing to give him your entire life, up to and including your death. As we've seen before, Jesus makes the most radical and most exclusive, challenging claims. And if, if he's not the son of God, then we would have to dismiss him as the worst kind of cult leader. Who else can claim Make a claim on a person like this. It's shocking. And second, the the paradox of Jesus' teaching is that he says that this life of self-denial and even suffering is the path to true life. How can this be? This only makes sense if the call to deny yourself and to follow him really does lead to the life that you've always been looking for. We often think that fulfillment will come as we focus on ourselves and our needs. But Jesus says that it only really comes as we focus on him and on other people. Our true identity will only be found in him, not in anything else, even in all the treasures of the world. There are two things happening here at the same time. It's a call to self-denial because Jesus calls us to put to death all those ways in which we can be self-centered rather than other-centered. But it's also a call to self-discovery because Jesus says that this is the way to discover the person you were always meant to be. Whoever loses his life will save it, he says. Here's how the, the pastor John Stott Uh, describes this dynamic of of self-denial and self-discovery in the call of Jesus. Stott says, What we are, our self or personal identity, is partly the result of the creation, the image of God, and partly the result of the fall, the image defaced. The self we are to deny, disown, and crucify is our fallen self, everything within us that is incompatible with Jesus Christ. Hence, Christ's command, let him deny himself and follow me. The self we are to affirm and value is our created self, everything within us that is compatible with Jesus Christ. Hence, his statement that if we lose ourselves by self-denial, we shall find ourselves. True self-denial, the denial of our false fallen self, is not the road to self-destruction, But the road to self-discovery. We are beautiful, he's saying, and we are broken. And on our own, we might be tempted to only focus on the parts of ourselves that we deem as good and build our identity on those things and try to ignore everything else. Or it only really leads to self-deception and pride. Or We might be tempted to only see our failures and our shortfalls, and when this happens, it only leads to despair uh, about ourselves. In contrast, Jesus calls us to bring everything to him, our whole selves, both our successes and our failures, not to let anything hold us back from going to him. Listen to the words of uh, the hymn we sang uh, earlier in the service today uh, from the song, Come, Ye Sinners. Come, you weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. One reason why we love the, the hymn tradition uh, here at Geneva is because of how deeply these hymns teach us about the Christian life. And what's, what's this one saying here? Uh, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. On the one hand, if your conscience makes you linger, that means that you uh, bear some weight of, of, of guilt That you're afraid jesus will not forgive and so you linger you you hold back from him Uh, but if the love of jesus is so great that he was willing to die for you then there is no sin that he will not forgive there is no unforgivable sin on the other hand if you're fondly dreaming of fitness this doesn't mean exercise it means that you're dreaming about cleaning yourself up making yourself fit That would mean that you don't need a savior, because you're okay on your own. In Jesus' famous parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, he tells a story about uh, this way of thinking. Uh, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee focused on uh, what he could see and judge and compare uh, his goodness and his righteousness. Uh, But the tax collector simply opens his heart to God in prayer and confesses that he is a sinner in need of grace. Jesus is saying that God would rather have the real us with all our failure and our sin than some fake shining image of who we think he wants us to be. Our true identity is found as we bring our whole self to him. This brings us to our last point, the promise of a Christian's identity. In verse 38, uh, Jesus says something that may sound harsh, and I, I want to address it. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels in order to understand this I think you have to put it in the context of Peter's rebuke earlier remember how serious Jesus took Peter's words and Peter was acting ashamed of Jesus as a suffering Messiah Peter could not accept that the Son of God would walk a path of weakness and self-sacrifice. But Jesus makes it clear that this is who he is, and he desires followers who also are not afraid to meet him in those places of self-denial and weakness. So this is a serious thing that he says. If anyone will not go with him to the cross, then they will not be able to participate with him in his glory oftentimes just like peter we want a theology of glory that skips the cross Uh, we want an identity that is built on success and achievement and victory but that is never the way of jesus the promise of jesus is that he is with those who admit their weakness, not to identify with it, but to identify with him. When we're not ashamed of a Jesus who is gentle and humble, then we will want to go to him with our whole selves. Because we will know that no matter what, he will accept us. In the gospel, he assures us of the gentleness of his love and that he doesn't want us to be ashamed of him. He wants to welcome us into the presence of the glory of his father. Let me end with this. The German pastor, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who was put to death by the Nazis at the end of World War II uh, for participating in a plot to assassinate Hitler, uh, he wrote from his prison cell a poem that I included today on the Reflections page. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but let me just summarize. In the first part of the poem, he looks outward, and he talks about what others say about him. He refers to his confidence, and his friendliness, and his calm, even in the midst of the hardship of the war and his imprisonment. And then he turns inward, and with amazing honesty, He confesses his weakness and his struggle and his weariness. But finally, in the closing lines, he turns his eyes upward and he speaks to God. And listen to what he says near the end. Who am I? This one or the other? The strong one that others see or the weak one that I know? Am I this one today or tomorrow another? Am I both at once, before others a hypocrite, and in my own eyes a pitiful, whimpering weakling? Or is what remains in me like a defeated army, fleeing in disarray from victory already won? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest me, O God. I am thine. Friends here we find the resolution of all our identity struggles. If you look outward to the affirmation of others, you may be able to puff yourself up temporarily. But when you are criticized or you lose support, you will be deflated and defeated. If you look inward to yourself for your identity, you will be at the mercy of your emotions and your changing desires. But if you look upward to God, you will find one who knows you better than you know yourself and who loves you more infinitely than you could ever grasp. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who reveals to you God's love on the cross, then you will want to go to him with everything. You will be willing to give up anything for his sake. You will make it your aim to live a life that pleases him, not other people or or even yourself. And by the spirit of Jesus, you will have the power to love others as you have been loved, generously and sacrificially. On this path of discipleship, Jesus promises the life that is truly life. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your love revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus we rest in his love today. We pray for boldness to bring our whole selves to you and for humility to be shaped into the people who reflect Christ's own character and his loving service. Would you do this work in us and help us by your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.